0: Mindfulness Mode 445.
1: You know, I said, if we can live our best lives as a person, as a partner, parent, and professional, wouldn't we do that?
0: Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. This is Bruce Langford, your host and mindfulness life coach. Hey, Mindful Tribe, want to be more focused? Do you want to be more grounded? I have a guided meditation that will help you do just that. Now, I don't know about you, but the sound of waves can really do something for me. It can it can totally help me transform and move through stress and anxiety and let go of those those pieces of anxiety that are bringing you down. In this meditation, you'll hear me talking and help you bring a sense of calm to your life. You can download this free guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body by going to mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. Today, I have a very, very special guest. I greatly appreciate him. As soon as I start talking to him on this interview, you'll notice That his passion comes through, his expertise comes through. This man totally has done the work, has spent the time with people, spent the time helping. And he's written a terrific book called Seven Ways to Love. He's a relationship expert. And like I said, I totally enjoyed spending time with him. I ended up sitting beside him at the Growth Now Movement event in Redding, Pennsylvania, when I was there speaking. That was great. And Andre was a fantastic guy to kind of spend time with. So today I'm spending more time with him. Sit back, relax and enjoy this interview with Andre Young. Mindful Tribe, we're in for a treat today. I've got a great, fascinating guy here. I've got Andre Young. Andre, are you in mindfulness mode today?
1: I am. I like to think I'm in it every day, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having me on. I hope I can live up to the great introduction you just gave me. So thank you and hi, everybody.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on the show and, and just a little backstory. I met Andre in person just a few weeks ago at Justin Shank's event and that was in Reading, Pennsylvania. and Andre lives in Reading or sorry, he lives near Reading. He lives near you know in Pennsylvania. And I'm going to just share a bit about you, Andre. Andre Young is an author. He's a speaker. He's founder of You Evolving Now. I mean, what a great name for a company. And he's had that since 2011. It's it's Andre's mission to impact lives and relationships of people everywhere, allowing individuals to live the lifestyle of their dreams. He's a personal growth and relationship growth expert. And he's uh, got 19 years of experience as a mental health therapist. And he's created a movement of positivity. So I can't wait to talk to you. And, and of course, your fantastic book, which came out in 2017. And the book is really fantastic. And I'm going to be asking you questions about your book. And as I look at my Kindle here, my Kindle decided to run out of power. <laughs> and so they my do Kindle, that, right? instead of having the title of your book on it it has this picture of a battery with a line through it and uh so your book is called the seven well help me out here
1: the seven seven ways to love
0: yeah seven ways to love and uh so yeah we'll talk about that but before we do andre share with me what is your concept of mindfulness what does mindfulness mean to you
1: mm. well that's a great question Mindfulness means to me us being able to manage, overcome, and live in our thoughts. One of the chapters of my book is actually called Live Your Thought, Live the Thought. We have so many great thoughts about, throughout the day of what we want to do, know we should do within our relationships for ourselves, the people around us, and how many of those thoughts get ignored, whether it's getting flowers for your wife or doing something for your husband or doing something for your kids or doing something for ourselves, you know? And how many times do we ignore that? As a younger man, I did a very, very poor job of managing and ignoring my urges, you know, and being present in the moment, being able to enjoy the now. And so being mindful in the bubble for me means to be able to manage, control all of those type of
0: things. Well, you're a relationship expert from what I know about you. And you start your book off talking about the relationship triangle. Could you share mm-hmm. with our listeners about the relationship triangle?
1: Absolutely. And when I'm talking about relationships, one of the things that I, w- I want your listeners to understand is, is the four P's and then some, you know, so I said, we can live our best lives as a person, as a partner, parent and professional. Wouldn't we do that? Like, wouldn't our lives be so great if we focused on those four P's? But then we add some because we're sons and daughters and friends and all of those different things. But too much of our definition of success is so singularly focused. And what goes on the top of that triangle matters and on the other spokes. So typically, if you ask most people what's their definition of success, they're going to tell you this one thing that they believe if they chase it and catch it is going to make them happy. And there's one of the most dangerous things because that definition is very singularly focused, and happiness is external. It takes everything going your way for it to be happy, and then things change. So, that triangle really comes down to what's on top will control everything. And I was a therapist for 19 years, and when I walked away from that, I realized this triangle matters because I sat in marriage counseling and most men would come in and say, well, I work, work, work all the time. I don't understand what the problem is. It's on the top of their triangle. It's the only thing that they're focused on. Contrastly, and anytime you say every or all you're wrong, women would come in and would say, my life revolves around my kids. I don't understand what the problem is. Now, mind you, they're saying that in marriage counseling without the other present with their marriage or relationship hanging on by a strength. And for us to become successful leaders in and of our own lives, it starts with personal leadership first. And that triangle puts everything in order. At the top of our triangle, it really comes down to what's our vision for our lives? What's your dream? What's your definition of success? So let's get that singular answer that we believe will make us happy. Let's get that. But what is our definition of success as a partner? a parent, a professional, what type, of defini- what type of lifestyle do we want in those areas? If we're in a relationship, what's our couple's vision? Because we could be in a relationship where we spend all this time, we eat dinner, we do kids, we sleep in the same bed, we do all these things that couples do, but we're so focused on our definition and they're so focused on theirs that we live in these parallel lives. Right. Same things happens in companies. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Well, what's our vision together? And then how do we do a daily living plan of that? The other side of that triangle really comes if you are a faith-based person. Not you if you are a faith-based person, open up your faith-based book, read it, and do it. It's already written. We don't have to recreate the wheel here. Right. Now, on the other two spokes of a triangle comes your relationships, all of our relationships. And we are very inundated in being busy yes. in our culture. We're so busy being busy that we forget to be better. Mm. And our relationships matter. And I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs and we have all, you know, and, and business people and we have all of the, our things that we have to do, which I believe I'm a, in the power of language, I say we get to do. But we have this all in our daily schedule. We might have it in our phones and I encourage people put these things in your phone. You know, it gets the tornado out of our head. But when we break that down for our relationships is our relationship in our phone, in our calendar, our dates with our spouse in that calendar, our dates with our kids. I call them due dates and due date dates if you got, you know, sons and daughters. Our friendships, I know I don't have a spontaneous lifestyle regarding me running a company and having four kids. Spontaneity is not a big thing in my life. So I need to schedule the things that I really want to do. And it doesn't sound sexy and attractive, but it's life right now. Or, you know, so those things, and I call it making time and taking time. Because we need to make the time to put it in our calendar. But when it's time to come up, typically we talk ourselves out of it. It's something we knew we wanted, something we knew we needed, but oh, something came up. Or I got stuck watching Law and Order Marathon sitting on the couch. Whatever it is, do what you knew we needed to do for ourselves. The last prong, the last spoke of that triangle is us. We matter. And typically to our success or to our relationships, we'll start to demote ourselves. Nobody did it. We did it. Mm. And we, we, we are so running on empty, being busy. And then we get to uh, you know, have a temper tantrum and stick our chest out righteously that we don't have any time and nobody cares about us. Well, that's our job. So putting us in that calendar and making us higher on our to-do and get-to-do list and giving us what we need, we got to first know, what do you need? And then how do we gift ourselves with that? So if we do that triangle, it's amazing because if work is on the top of that triangle, work can be taken away from you. Yes. If sports is on the top of that triangle, an injury can take that away from you. Nobody gets to play sport forever. If your kids are on the top of that triangle, kids are supposed to grow up and leave. And then you're stuck in a house with a stranger you don't know and been neglecting. and may not like you either. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so getting your triangle right has been monumentally important for self-care and relationships.
0: Well, I love how in chapter 14, you talk about success as a language. Mm. How is success a language?
1: Well, I do work in schools as well. Like, so I work with companies and I'll do, uh, Colleges, you know, university, athletics and high schools. And then my kids are in school. So with their ages. So I visit their schools and you'll see all of these posters about bullying and success and dreams. And one of the saddest part about those posters is when you go into a workforce, those posters stop. <laughs> There's no more posters about your dream and you know, all of that stuff. But the bullying There's always this outside, external thing that's happening to you. And what I realized is that most of us, including me when I was younger, we were bullying ourselves with the words that we choose to use. Bullying ourselves. One of the pillars of you evolving now, the first pillar ever was positivity. Because if you ask most people, just take advantage of this tomorrow. Go ask most people, hey, how you doing? Most people are TGIFing and it's only Monday. You know, they start talking about and and complaining and griping about the negativity, and you'll find enough bobbleheads that will agree with you when you speak like that. So, our language is very important, but there were key words that I found that were the biggest bullies that we use for ourselves. And it's but, if, can't, try, just, only, should, and deserve. So, those are the bully eight right there. So, when somebody says but, you know, Bruce, I'm sorry I did this, but you, anything after that is what they say is BS, and then nobody wants to hear it anymore, and we're just focused on that. So you're taking butt away, and you're replacing it with a semicolon. I'm sorry I did blank. I would, semicolon, pause, I was having a bad day, or this was wrong with me, and it's not going to happen again.
0: Boom. Yeah, so it totally no, negates what was before the word but. I completely agree, and I teach that in schools myself. That word but, it just mm-hmm. completely eliminates any value that you've already said for sure. So I, I jotted down the words, and I think I missed one. I want to know what when I missed. So the words are but, if, can't, try, just, only, and then the last one was deserve.
1: Deserve, yep. But if can't try only just should, should,
0: should, yes, yeah. that's an important word to be mindful about when we use that word should, oh, I should have done such and such. Oh, honey, sorry, I should have, I should have been thinking more about what you needed or whatever. Yeah, that would should. And
1: you should, like, so when you start, when we start anything with you should or you should have, oh, my goodness, Could you imagine somebody saying that to us? Our immediate reaction is to defend ourselves or dukes up or to disconnect. There's not much positive that comes out of that. And what should really means is I would like for you to. Yes. If I'm talking to my wife or I'm talking to an employee or I'm talking to a you should have. I would like for you to. And that's honest and fair to say and start with.
0: Yeah. And it's more direct. It's direct. And, and isn't that one of the big problems that a lot of times we're not direct enough?
1: Right. Right. You know? and, for, and for a lot of different reasons, because one of the things I, I have something that I call and I teach called the, the power question. Right. The power question. So sometimes we have to help our leaders to lead us. And sometimes we have to help our coaches to coach us. So the power question sounds like, I want to be great at dot, dot, dot. Can you help me? What is it that I need to do? So whether we're saying that like that or whether we're saying something direct, we can't say either one of those things if we're not prepared for their response or their answer. Can we be evolved enough not to duke up or disconnect? You know, especially if we're initiating the question and the want.
0: I'd like to talk about that whole tendency to think like a victim. Mm. And when you, when you deal with people, I'm sure you can spot this right away. It comes right up to you. What do you do if you have mm-hmm. somebody that you're working with or you're dealing with and right away you're saying, oh, man, we've got a problem. This person is seeing themselves as a victim. How do you move forward?
1: For me, what I enjoy doing, and no matter if it's an athlete, whether it's an employee, whether it's my kids, whatever, I like rating scales. I like this rating scale, and I keep it simple. Instead of challenging their victim status so they can feel more victimized and misunderstood and not understood, what I do is a rating. On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you rate yourself as a bop, bop, bop? So we have an employee. Okay, They feel like they're being victimized and not understood. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, what are you rating yourself as a professional? What are you rating yourself as a a son? What are you rating yourself? Whatever, whatever it is. Okay, there's no wrong number. I've heard negative threes, believe it or not. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10. I've heard ones, I've heard zeros, I've heard tens. It doesn't matter. As long as your number is honest to you. Help me understand what that number means for you. Okay, now what would it take for you to move up a number or two? That's whatever answer that they give. Is the answer, here's that should word, is the answer they know they should do.
0: Mm-hmm. Is the
1: answer they're more willing to do. And everybody wants to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it so loud. Yes. Now, we're saying we're talking about relationships because this is not in a vacuum here. They feel victimized by someone else. So right. unless we're not talking about forcible you know, offenses and stuff like that, okay? So, okay, this is your answer, so whether it's your boss or your mom or your, your spouse, whatever it is. This is what you, you rated yourself. This is how you would move up a number or two. Do you know their answer? And then that's when the light bulb comes on and they go, hmm. And I say, hmm, okay. So, hmm doesn't mean that you know. If your answers match, if what you want to do and feel like you should do that would make a difference matches their answer, then Great. But if it doesn't, find out what that is. And then we marry the two. We marry the two. So you're still getting what makes you feel good, but they're getting what they need. And let's see where that takes us. Now, what they need, is it reasonable, doable, and fair for who you are and what you're willing to give? Now you've got a decision to make. Now you can have some of your power back. Now you can see, because now, now you know what you wanted to do. And if you do or don't do that, that's on you. And you got to eat that. You have their answer. And now you can do or not do. But we're out of victim mode. We're in action mode.
0: I really like that. That's awesome. If I came to you and you started working with me and you started thinking, this man's problem is that he has an issue with forgiving. He's not Mm -hmm. able to forgive some of the people in his life or some of the situations. What would you do with that?
1: Wow. Well, that's a great point. Just make one more point for what you said before. When I do my rule way mentoring with someone, the R is the rating part that I just mentioned. The last part is the U is understanding the opposition because everybody feels like they have some opposing forces. Like I said, it could be your boss, it could be your coach, it could be your kids, it could be whomever. And I'm asking two questions off of that. One is, Well, how do you understand this person to be? How do you understand why this person behaves this way? Because let's get out of you and let's get into them. And then what do you believe they need most from you right now? So when we start asking these type of questions, we're out of our victim status and we're starting getting into leadership, more importantly, servant leadership. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're getting something out of being the victim. And you have to understand, we have to understand what are we getting out of being the victim? And people say, well, what do you mean? Well, you're getting something out of it. You could be getting attention out of it. And that's not a bad word. Everybody likes attention. Most people like attention. You may be getting comfort. You may be getting, you got to figure out what you're getting from it because obviously you're continuing to choose it. Right. Well, one, two things I would say. One, forgiveness is a choice. I would tell everybody and anybody, and that's one of the chapters in my book, how to get out of the rut because nobody gets out of relationships in any fashion without a few scars. You're not going to get out of your job without a few scars. Some people on life support. So you know, you're not going to get out of it. It's just not possible. So you can choose to forgive or not to forgive. If you choose not to forgive, you're choosing to continue feeling and dealing with what you've been dealing with. And if that's okay with you, then okay. If you do choose to forgive, then we're realizing that forgiveness is a process and it's not just this one thing. People think you're just letting it go. Letting go is the last step. The first step is being able to share and what I call controlled venting. Right? So you got to be able to share your story, but your story isn't for everybody that comes within your 18 inches of your personal space. Right go to work or have that friend or go somewhere where you spend time and have somebody have a bad day or have something happen in their relationship, something happen in their job. And one, they don't engage in construction talk, finding something positive to say about it in the face of that person or outside of that person. But they'll tell all of the bad stuff. So everybody that comes inside their 18 inches of personal space is going to get the bad story. The bad thing that happens about that. That most people don't pay attention to is that you can't go talk poorly about your life, your job, your kids, your relationship, and then go home to any of it and love it. Right. So the more you're engaging in that, the more you're killing that relationship. Mm. Good point. Because it builds up. Because you do that over day after day, week after week, month after month, decade after decade. How you supposed to feel? You know. So controlled venting means your venting is people limited and time limited. Who do you want to vent to and why do you want to vent to them? Are you venting to them because they're bobbleheads and agree with you? Or are you venting with a purpose? This is who I'm going to because I trust how they are, who they are, and how they can then at least objectively look at it for me to be better. Do I want to be agreed with or do I want to be better? Do I want to story tell or do I want to problem solve? Time limited. We are all human. I do you evolving now for a, for a living. I'm Mr. You evolving now, but I have my days but how I vent is to the right people, and I, I get it out, and then I'm done. What's next? Then we have to understand our offenders why. So part two, understand our offenders why. Somebody hurt us. Won't be the last, hasn't been the first. This person typically is not the devil that came out of the underbelly of the world to destroy life. There are a few monsters out there. I've met them, but very, very few in the 19 year of professional mental health. Okay, Uh, so most people aren't that. And even if they are, how did they get that way? So understanding why that person said what they said and did what they did. And and I'm going to stress this. It doesn't mean that it's okay what they said or did. It doesn't make everything okay. But we have to understand. It helps to understand why they are the way they are and why they did what they did. The next, which I find a lot of people have a difficulty with, is now we have to set some boundaries because we've been hurt. It's okay for us to set some boundaries. We have to realize, first off, what is your safe zone? What is our safe zone? What is our line that is no longer acceptable to cross? We got to know that. We have to honor that. Now, when we deliver this boundary Typically, we've done it when we're fed up and we're so emphatic that no one crosses this freaking line or it's going to be heck. To we have to remember that this line, this boundary is old information to us. You've been thinking about it. You've practiced this in your mind. You've been thinking about this for days, weeks, maybe even years. When you say it to the person, the job, The team, the coach, the boss, your spouse, it is brand new information to them. And if somebody came to you with a stern boundary with an attitude, you'd be taken back. So it's important for us to acknowledge their reaction. We don't have to like their first reaction, but let's pay more attention to their second reaction and not their first. Because it's new information to them, but it's been old to you. Four, now we can start the process of really letting go because we have vented under control. We've told our story in a, in a purposeful way, not just in a bobble-headed way that people are going to agree with us. You know, we've understood our offender as much as we can. We've set some boundaries. Now we can let go, and letting go can happen over time. If we're still stuck thinking about it, okay, that happens. Are we ruminating on it? Or did the thought come like in meditation? Did it come and then like a stream, it can go? Or did we do something about our thoughts? Okay, I'm thinking about it. Why am I thinking about it? What's going on? Maybe I need to journal. Maybe I need to deep breathe. Maybe I need to do some other things that will allow me to have this thought but not be damaged by the thought.
0: Andre, you mentioned meditation. Do you meditate? And if you do, what does it look like in your life?
1: I used to, there was a period years ago, oh my goodness, maybe like 10, 15 years ago now that I was act- I was meditating. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to it. Um, I just got, quote unquote, I don't like the word busy, but I got productive, you know? Right. Um, but I was big on guided imagery and I helped people. I actually just did it today with an executive down at his job for him. We, you know, I did. And that was, that was awesome because uh, a lot of the executives struggle with stress. You know, uh, stress and anxiety, and they want to do the right thing, but they're getting pressed from so many ways. So, just putting some things in their toolbox and guided imagery came up, and I did it for years. So, if you don't know what it is, listeners, you know, it's a script, and you can either Google one. I I do one that I enjoy very much, and it takes you to your this script particularly takes you to this perfect place, and in this perfect place, everything is like how you want it to be. And you know, you can do this and. 10 minutes, maybe do it a half hour, maybe do it in five seconds, but I can visualize my space. And uh, before we started the show, you were talking about how you like the cold. Yes. Well, I hate the cold. Right. But my perfect space are mountaintops. Mountaintops with the snow on them, with the cool breeze. I have no idea why that's my calming place, but it does. You know, So that's a big thing for me. And from a meditation standpoint, it's not active meditation, but I call it, get my life together Saturday. I put in my schedule one Saturday a month to be in my office, give myself permission to pause, see what's going on in my business and in my life and in my four Ps. And am I being busy or am I being better? What needs to stop? What needs to start? And what do I continue? And that is very meditation-like for me. Because it allows me to organize my life. It's spring cleaning once a month. So that, that's been very useful for me.
0: All right. I like that. I want to ask you, you evolving now is your own business that has evolved in your life. How is it different from the relationship work that you used to do before your business started?
1: Well, wow. Well, one, I was an employee before and I was working as sure. a mental health therapist and I did it in every realm from. Group individual marital in home, out of home psych, you know inpatient, outpatient, and for a lot of different reasons, I just didn't want to be confined in one space, and I wanted to be able to do things that I developed that worked as well, and that's a longer story, and I you know I stopped doing that when I first started it, I was you know you evolving now it was men evolving now, shout out to my daughter, she named you evolving now because I went through a divorce. And at that time, it was just like, you know, what I'm a good person, but a lot of times you, you don't have anywhere good to go or anything coming out of divorce and ready to evolve. When anybody's ready to evolve, we have to be willing to stand alone for a little bit because our friends may not be ready to evolve. The people around us may not be ready to evolve. You are. And at that time, I didn't have anybody to necessarily be good with or a place to good, good to go. So I created Men Evolving Now, and that was an exceptional time. I started Men Evolving Now, and it was for men. And we just it was, get together in my living room. It was guys who wanted to be more and get more out of life. And we would start with, hey, what's been going good since we've seen each other last And that was a powerful question because if you ask most people, hey, what's going on? (laughs) You know, do the good stuff. Oh, my goodness. So what's been going good? And then we would have the topic question for the night and we were talking and then we leave with a goal. So I always wanted, you know, for people to leave and return home better because guys nights, just like women nights, we come home relieved, but not always better. Right. Then women started to like it. And we had a women's division. And then we had youngs men and youngs women. And then it was on college campuses. So essentially, I had three different businesses. I had men evolving now, women evolving now, and youngest men and women evolving now. And it was all over the place, you know? Mm-hmm. And my daughter said, well, what about you evolving now? And at the time, I was going off of acronyms, so men and women. And I was like, yen? What the heck is yen? I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And eventually, like, it just made so much sense. And then it evolved because at that time, I was focusing on, and I really, really, really wanted to create my business on a volunteer basis. So so the average person living life, are you ready for more? Come, let's do more, let's be more. I didn't understand how hard it was to get the average person off the couch or out of their definition of busy. Uh. You know, out of their definition, you're asking a person to get off work, not do, you know, whether they're running a company, whether they're Ubering their kids around with all of the sports leagues and things like that, or if they're elbow deep in the bag of chips, that could be their definition of busy. Most people don't want to stop their definition of busy. Most people are also, it's like the dentist. When my tooth hurts bad enough, I'll run to the doctor. So when my life gets bad enough, I'll run to counseling. When my life runs bad enough, I'll run to do this. So I said, okay, for me to do a business, pay my bills, and make an impact, things need to change. So I want to be where people already are. And they're at work, they're at school, and they're on their phones. So creating programs, whether well, it's speaking engagements, then we have quarterly packages because the speaking engagement is great. I love doing that. But we have to understand people and how the employee, athlete, or student is really looking at this speaker. They're like, who's this person? Don't you know how busy I am or how little I care? And if you really wanted to treat me, school or organization, let me leave early. Or pay me some of the money that you just paid him. So if we know the average person is thinking that, then why, when I come in and do a great job or when a speaker comes in and do a great job, why would you punish your staff or whomever by not bringing that person back? So now they're excited. Now there's a culture of positivity and anticipation. This person's coming back. Now they're sitting in their seat vibrant. So we have a quarterly package where I'm there four times a year, one time per season. And then we have an app that lets me live in their pocket that gives all personal growth, relationship growth, lifestyle enhancement. We have an evolving lead program for executives, employees. So it's a five-week program on-site. And we have one-on-one mentoring, a little bit of what I did today on-site. It's been fantastic. We do daily
0: retreats as well. Oh, that's awesome. Were you ever bullied or were you ever a bully? Because
1: I was never a bully. No, that makes me mm, to my stomach, like uh, sick to yeah, my stomach. To yeah. think of. What I do know is I wasn't a very good leader of my own life. So I did get in my fair share of trouble in uh, the end of high school and in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said it when I was speaking on another show. I said, you know, at, at some point I had to really evaluate my life, though, because that was kind of ugly. I said, do I have a problem with alcohol or do I become a problem with alcohol? And I didn't have a problem with alcohol, but I had to start removing alcohol out because the trouble I got into (laughs) came from being out drinking with my friends. And I said, okay, enough. And I, boom. And life got tremendously better after that. So I was never a bully. I was never bullied, but I was what they would call, I guess, a nerd as a kid. And so I was uh didn't like going outside much. My mom would punish me when I got in trouble and kick me outside. She made me go outside. <laughs> <laughs> I drew, I painted. I sold, my first, I sold a painting when I was 13 years old. I wasn't really in the fashion and growing up inner city, Philadelphia. I don't know how I didn't get bullied. I don't, you know, it, you know there were certain things in the neighborhood that just happened. But it
0: wasn't. Well, I'm guessing you probably were not a small kid. You know what? Yes, I
1: was. I was, Oh, were you? Like I said, my, my children all have basketball frames. But in seventh okay. grade, I started lifting weights. So my, my dad yeah. had a weight bench in the house and I just gravitated to it. In seventh grade, I started lifting weights. And maybe that's why I didn't get bullied. I don't know. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. And whatever I enjoy doing, I tend to do a lot. You know, you evolving now doesn't feel like work for me. It's a lifestyle. Right. So anything that I do, I just do. And so I did that and fell in love with it. And I never stopped. So I wasn't an, a a big kid, but I, with the weightlifting, I became muscular and I became very strong. And I enjoyed that very much.
0: And then what sports did you become involved in?
1: Football and basketball, but I was a terrible, terrible basketball player. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> so football was your thing then?
1: Yeah, I uh, picked up football, I guess, I mean, late in life. Some people would say late, some people would say early, but I was... 13, 14, and had aspirations to be in the NBA. So I was at this one high school at first, and they didn't have a football team, didn't bother me until tryouts came. Tryouts come, they pass me the basketball, and I pass it back immediately. It's like a hot potato. I couldn't get the ball out of my hand fast enough. And immediately, okay, if I did that, just because you think you won something doesn't mean you are prepared or capable. So, and I just, obviously, it wasn't my thing. But When I picked up a football, completely different feeling. Uh, and I married football upon picking it up.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So, just 30 second answers are perfect, Andre. The first one is this Who is one person who has influenced the kind of mindfulness you have in your life?
1: Mindfulness. Wow. Who's one person that influenced the mindfulness in my life? Two people my dad, and I would say Jesus. I'm a saved man. Uh, My dad went through things um, and I was so amazed by his patience, I was so amazed by his resolve, I was so, um, you know, uh, he's a steady rock and when everything is going bonkers in your world, to remain steady and realize this will pass, it's all about how you perceive it. My wife and I got saved at the same time and to be able to say, to know that I don't have to have all the answers, it's nice right. sometimes, just live right and do the right thing until you do.
0: Awesome. How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: I would say mindfulness has affected my emotions and my consequences because consequences would be negative or positive. So being mindful and taking time. When I used to get angry, I used to get angry for three days. So I, I would go through a process of, one, I was angry. Then the next day, I was justifying why I was angry. Then by the third day, I'm like, okay, this person isn't a monster that I'm angry with. Okay, what do they need from me? But then by the time you go back to fix the situation, if you can, you've been distant and gone for three days. They might not be ready. So being able to be mindful and collapse those time frames... And now it's just, boom, I can do that in my mind very, very quickly. So it starts by knowing who you are, how you are, why you are, and then being able to collapse those timeframes of your process.
0: Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness.
1: I just did it today. It was great. Uh, deep breathing. I love that from yeah. the diaphragm. I think that's very, very important over breathing. I prefer walks in nature. It's like, so for me being a city boy, have, I have no idea how I fell in love with nature. <laughs> wow. So I, I love being outside and being able to do that. And again, you know, exercising and lifting weights, that's always great for me as well. But the breathing and the meditation of being still for a little while definitely is advantageous.
0: Andre, your book, Seven Ways to Love is fantastic. And I think, you know, everybody should read this book because we all have relationships with people in our lives, whether it's a spouse, whether whoever it is, and there's so much information in there. But can you recommend a book, a different book that somehow could help us with mindfulness?
1: There were three books that really stood out for me (laughs) that I've read in my life that really made an impact. One was The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Okay. I really, really enjoyed that one. wow, that was probably 20 years ago, and it, I remember it changing how I thought and how I felt. Um, I think it's called one of those books for dummies," "The Buddhism for Beginners," or something like that." Right. So I, I was reading that because that, you know, it was a time in my life where I was looking for, for something, and I didn't know if the church is this. And like I said, I am a saved man. I love the philosophy behind Buddhism now. And it's talking about having heaven on earth and being able to create that desired lifestyle here instead of waiting for it. So that was tremendous in calming my mind and how I interacted with people. And I think it really was the basis too, when you start looking at what's your desired lifestyle and what's your definition of success in your four Ps and not that one direct answer you're going to give. Right. Another book, I had it right on the tip of my tongue. It's not a book, actually, well, probably a book, but I s- heard it on CD. So I'm dating myself saying CD. Right. But it was the Toltec and it's a Native American philosophy. Uh-huh. And I remember, I don't remember a lot about it, but the one thing that really stood out is monumental. And it was talking about perfection. And we always talk about, you You hear people say, well, I'm not perfect or we're not perfect. And it makes me cringe, because I know what they mean. But also with the power of language, we're beating ourselves up too, Uh, you know, and, and, and disguising it with being a realist. So the Toltec says, when you look at that tree over there, you don't compare that tree to that tree. It's a tree. It's perfect. It belongs here. When you look at a star in the sky, You don't say that star is less perfect than that star. You say, wow, look at the stars. It's all perfect. And we only learned that we weren't perfect by going to school, sitting in row seats, starting to get grades. Kids don't walk around talking about I'm not perfect. They go to schools. We get grades. We get gold stars. We get trophies or we don't get trophies. And then we get taught that what we're valued and then set aside. So we're a part of nature just like that tree, just like that star. You are perfect. We may not behave perfectly, but you're perfect how you are. And then when you use your superpowers to balance out or help somebody else's lack of a superpower, it all works together. When I heard that, I really just fell in love with that because how many people in the world would just love to hear that they're perfect in that sense?
0: Yeah, that is is awesome. I really appreciate that. Are there any apps that you recommend people to use that can help with their mindfulness or maybe there's one that has helped you?
1: Well, mine, but that sounds cheesy to promote mine.
0: <laughs> no, tell us <laughs> but, about yours. Tell us about no, it's yours.
1: YEN Push. So Y-E-N for you evolving now. YEN Push. What I wanted to do is if you can allow me, listener, thank you so much for listening, allow me to live in your pocket. Because when I go places to do a speaking engagement or if I'm there four times a year or one time a week, you know, life goes on as soon as you walk out that door, you know, and 70% of some of the things you say are going to get knocked out because life is going to knock them out because they get busy again. So on Mondays, you're going to get a question of the week. And those questions will always end with, do you know your partner's answer? Do you know your kid's answer? So sometimes the questions are deep. For instance, this past week, it said, you know, what are the three epiphanies? What were your three most memorable epiphanies? Mm. How did they change your life? Do you know your partner's answer? Do you know your kid's answer? I have teenagers. He has an answer. Whoever thinks to ask that question. It can go. It could be as simple as what was the best gift or best money you ever spent? Do you know your partner's answer? Do you know your kid's answer? So sometimes they're deep. Sometimes they're not. But it allows us to think something different, have a different conversation with the people we care about. And you can use it at work, maybe like start a meeting. Wednesdays, you get a thought of the week video from me no more than about five minutes. Or Fridays, you get a blog. On Saturdays, you get my quote. And on Sundays, you get something from our dream leaders from health and fitness or finance because that matters for a lifestyle as well.
0: Yen push. Yep. Check it out, Mindful Tribe. And check out youevolvingnow.com because that's where you can find Andre. And uh, I, I'm just so impressed at your wisdom and your expertise you. in this whole area. I mean, it just, just came across from the first moment we started to talk. I really appreciate your book. But even more than that, I appreciate talking to you and hearing your wisdom and you know, just having this time today. So thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, Bruce,
1: thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here today. Thank you for thinking of me that way. Guys listening, I hope you have a fantastic day and enjoy your evolution as well.
0: Thanks so much, Andre. Bye now. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the waves of content meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. With more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. MindfulnessMode.com slash Waves of Content.